And so, yeah, James chapter 4, we're going to be there the entire time. James chapter 4, verse 13. And uh, let me start off by this, by saying this. There's certain relationships in our lives that really affect everything about us. The, 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 the totality of who we are, certain relationships that we enter into with either institutions or people transform and change who we are. So I remember driving to Texas Tech on that long road of 277 whenever I was 18 years old or just turned 19 years old. Uh, all by myself, just wondering, am I ready for this? You know, am I ready for, to enter into college? I, I, I just don't know. And you have that long drive. I, 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 was mo- I was moving from Bowie to Lubbock, and I had four hours just to think about, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. This is going to be brand new. It's going to be hard. And then I remember while I was at Texas Tech coming to the realization that, you know what? I think the Lord has worked on me enough to where I might be ready to ask someone to enter into this life, to, to, to marry me. I might be ready for that. I think the Lord has, has done enough. I think I've arrived in like the whole sanctification thing. You know, I think I've gotten there to enough to, to let someone else into uh, this mess of just stumbling towards Jesus. And I remember whenever I jumped into that, that relationship with Stephanie saying, hey, will you marry me? I found out, nope, wasn't ready. And then, and then life just kind of keeps on going like that as we enter into different new dynamic relationships. And so uh, whenever we said, I do, uh, things changed. And whenever we said, you know what, I think, uh, I think we're ready to have a kid. And whenever that happened, I remember in, in the delivery room, like, like full-blown ready to go and thinking, I, I don't know. I just don't know if I have the heart capacity to let this human being into my, in, into my life. I, I just don't know. And, and I wasn't. And, and, uh, and then I was. It was amazing. It was a miracle of like child, the only parents know what I mean by that. I was like, I wasn't ready. And then I saw Evan Claire and I was ready. And I just knew I was going to lay down my life and, and, just, and just love her. But we know that there's certain things certain uh, institutions and people that we enter into life-changing relationships with, um, and it transforms who we are. It transforms. It gives us a, almost a new sense of identity. And, and, and incidentally, you know what James is doing? That's kind of his argument. His argument uh, uh, of this entire book, of entering into uh, this uh, dynamic relationship with Jesus, it transforms who you are. It transforms. And it would be weird if it didn't. Like if you came up to me right after, right after uh, Stephanie and I uh, said I do, a couple months later after that, and said, hey, what's it like to be married? I wouldn't, it would have been weird if I said, you know what, I don't really think about it a whole lot. You know, it's just like, she's around, sure, but I don't really, you'd be like, Cody, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? Or the same thing with my, with my kids. If like, if you came up to me and said, Cody, what's it like being a dad for the first time? And she's like, you know what, nothing's really changed. It's like, whoa, whoa, like something should change. Uh, there should be something radically different with how you're orienting your life. And, and if, if that's not the reality, then, then. That's weird, and that's absolutely weird. And James is saying if things aren't different, things aren't different whenever you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the Lord of glory, then that's weird because you should talk differently. It should affect the way that you treat people. It should affect the way that you treat poor people. It should affect the way that you pray. And this morning what James is trying to say to us in this text is that um, a dynamic relationship with Jesus should also change the way that we make plans for our life. It should transform how we make plans 
for our life. And James, if you've noticed and you've been with us for a while, uh, the Holy Spirit chooses with different voices dynamically of how he communicates through his word um, in different ways. Sometimes he speaks really gently to us as a wonderful counselor, and then sometimes he comes at us like a drill sergeant, and that's James' MO. He's like, you know what you need to do? He's like, come now, change your life, and this is the way that you need to do it. And if, you, if you're not doing it this way, then guess what? Yeah, then what, if, what are some of the vocabulary that James has said? If you're not changing your life this way, then you're unspiritual and you're denied. You're demonic. And you're like, oh, okay, James, I, I, I'm listening. He's trying to constantly shock us into this understanding of our life should be transformed and different. That's what he, that's what, uh, it's really James' whole MO. And let me just say this as a quick aside. We need both. Our culture thinks that we just need this counselor, this, gentle, this gentleness all aside, all, all the time. And, and really what the word of God has teach taught us through James and through James's tone, which I think is gentle at times, and sometimes the communicator just doesn't convey it. Sometimes he says, you need to wake up. Wake up. Wake up out of your stupor. Stop being sorrowful about yourself or whatever your present circumstances are, and go this way. This is the way towards Jesus. Wake up. So James tries to shake us up a little bit tries to shake us up a little bit and say, if you're trying to make plans for your life this morning, this is what you need to be thinking through. This is how you need to be reflecting on it. Because, well, look what he, <laughs> I mean, I, I love what he says. Right from the very beginning, he says, come now. So he's trying to wake us up, right? You rich, weep. How, uh, or it says, you who say, uh, today or tomorrow you will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. He's saying, if you say that, you're arrogant. How dare you? How dare you? Again, drill, drill sergeant, that's what he's doing. James is fuming a little bit right here. And so uh, a lot of people say that he's talking to, you know, businessman, businessman. But I think he's addressing way more than just Christian businessmen or businesswomen. I think he's addressing all of us, all of us in such a way. Because look what he says. He says, if you make plans to go traveling, he has a problem with you. If you have plans this summer to say, you know what, in July we're going to, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to go to Disney World. and do it. James is saying you're arrogant right here. <laughs> you know, that's so arrogant. And you know what, he might even go so far as say, you know what, you're just being evil right now. Is that what? It, it kind of looks like it. Kind of looks like that's what he's saying. And, and he's also talking to all of us. And he says, if you think you're going to, to go do this and spend a certain amount of time there, he says, arrogant again. Or we're going to go and set a goal and try to accomplish that goal. He says, you're being evil. How's that? Like he's trying to wake us up to something. So what is he really trying to say? He's, tra he's using language to get our attention like he has throughout his enti this entire book. So what is he trying to say? Is he anti-planning? Is he anti-time management? No. Is he anti-success? I don't think so. Um, he's not saying, you know, like if you started a business and you're successful, it's like shame on you. No, he's not saying that. So what, really, what is he trying to do? What James is doing in these quick five verses is he is trying to instruct us how we should think, talk, and prepare for what we're going to do in the future. He's talking about our preparation. He's talking, he's trying to instruct us on how we think and, and, and view, our, view the world. He's trying to shape our worldview and bring it and, and shake us out of our stupor in such a way with his harsh language to say, listen, 
Think about your life. What are you pursuing right now? And are you thinking of yourself rightly? And are you thinking of God rightly? So that's his primary, that's the primary two things that he is trying to do. He's trying to wake us up to say, anytime you think and process through this life, are you, are you giving yourself a true evaluation of who you are? Whenever you plan for the future, are you thinking and contemplating that you are a creature made by God for a certain purpose? That you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to walk in them. And are you thinking about God, your maker, your creator, your Lord, your savior, rightly? Rightly. And what he's really trying to do is he's trying to keep us from sinning. He's trying to keep us from sinning. Look at what he says in, in verse 17. This comes so, plain, so plainly. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him or her, it is sin. It is sin. He's like, well, what is he saying? It's just, is that just a, a detached principle that he kind of adds as a tagline underneath? No, I don't think so. I think what he's trying to say is he's cr- trying to paint a picture of a sin of omission. Now, there's some sins that we do that we know and we understand. They're like, oh, I'm going to go choose and do this, even though my conscience is bearing witness against me that I shouldn't go do this. And, and you go and you step into it anyways. And there's also sins of omission that says, you know what? I'm just not really going to just try very hard. And I'm just going to kind of just go with the flow of life and see where life takes me. And that's what James is calling evil right here. And this reminds me of... Uh, Whenever I was at Texas Tech, I was a sophomore in Texas Tech University, which is a great university, um, uh, did something really strategic in their educational purposes, okay? My sophomore year, they built a leisure pool, and they put it at, in the middle of the campus, and uh, they allowed everyone that had access to Texas Tech University to go there. And I tell you what, if anyone is involved in higher education, leisure pool is where it's at to promote education. Let me just tell you that. I I, I tell you what, my sophomore year, I begged and pleaded, you know what, mom and dad, I really have to stay here. Like all summer, I have to stay here. There's, There's one class, I think it's one hour long, and I just really need to take this class. I think it's gonna really help me grow as a human being. And all along, I was just like, "There's a leisure pool. Of course, I want to. Of course, I want to stay here. This is this is amazing." And so I spent. I don't think I got to go my sophomore year, but junior year, all that planning, I had a whole year to plan and strategize, and it worked. I got to stay my junior year, and I got a lot of studying done at that leisure pool. Let me tell you. Uh, parents, consider Texas Tech University if you're thinking about higher education for your kids because Leisure Pool is there. It's there, and it promotes education. Uh, that, was, that was an aside, but l- listen, uh, if it, anyone's ever been to like a Leisure Pool or like a Lazy River type thing, uh, you, you know how it works, right? You, you jump in an inner tube, and you do nothing. You do absolutely nothing. And it, and it kind of just scoots you along in the river. Like, it's a real river. And it's amazing. You don't have to do anything. You just chat and talk. You're not exerting any energy whatsoever. But me and some of my meat, meathead friends, whenever we got bored at the lazy river, we did, we did this thing. We decided, you know what we're going to do? We're strong enough. We're going to walk the opposite way. We're going we're gonna to go against the current and all the, you know, all the, wind, the, the waves and stuff are going to blow by us. And we're going to see who's the fastest to go against the current. And we would do that um, often. 
just for fun. And the whole purpose of me telling you that is it's kind of a picture of the Christian life. Not education and uh, leisure pools, but going backwards in a lazy river is kind of the way the Bible describes what it means to follow Christ. It's this continual pursuit against the current. If the current is the world in the secular age that we're living in, God calls us to repent turn the opposite way, even though the current, it's easy for us just to go with the current and say, go that way. Jesus is calling us to go against the grain, to be salt and light in our community, and that is abnormal, and it is hard. But Jesus is worth it, and he's calling us to this life. He's calling us to continual repentance and faith, this continual pursuit of him because he's worthy of all that we have. And listen, you know what that means? It means in the Christian life, there really is no stagnicity. If you think about this analogy that I've given about the the lazy river in the, the Christian life, you can't just stay. You can't just stay in one spot and say, you know what, I just feel like I'm stagnant. No, because the lazy river takes you downstream with everyone else. And what God is calling us to is a pursuit of him, a life of continual repentance and faith in Jesus Continual repentance and faith to where we're pursuing him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To where we're committing ourselves to the church and encourage each other and spurring each other on. And that's what this life is about. And look what he says in verse 14. He's trying to communicate. It says, what is your life? Your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You say, well, Cody, that sounds hard. Yeah, but your life is a mist. It's nothing. Eternity is forever. But this life, this pursuit of God, this treachery towards God, even though my heart wants to go the way that the world is going, you say, no, it's worth it. Because what you gain is is immeasurable treasure. It's like selling everything and buying the field that has uh, an inconceivable amount of treasure in it. That's what God says life with Christ actually is. And so we pursue it for a little time while we are amidst. Why? Because we're made for him. You are made for him. That's who you are, Christian. You're made for him. You're not made for the world. You're called out of the world. You're redeemed out of the world to turn around and look at God and say, oh, I'm made for him. Let me go that way, even even though floaties are coming at me and other distractions or whatever. He says, I'm pursuing Christ because it's worth it. And Colossians 1.16 says this so well. It says, all things were, made, were created by him, things in heaven and things on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's everything. He says, all things were created through him and for him. You were created for him. Turn, run to him because this is why you were created. And if you... And if you say, no, you know, I've just been stagnant. It's been, I've, been in a weird, I've been in a weird spot. This is the sin of omission that James is warning us about. It's saying, you know what? God will be there whenever I come back. And James wants to wake you up, Christian, and say, actually, that's arrogant. That is arrogant. That's a, that's a perspective of saying, you know what? Living my life. For God, he doesn't really care because he'll, he'll always be there whenever I get back. And that is a terrible sin that Jesus is, and the Lord is trying to keep, keep us from. And everyone who knows the right thing that they ought to do and does not do it for him or her, that is sin. 
Because listen, you say, well, Cody, what am I doing? I thought sin was like disobedience. And he's like, well, it is disobedience because you're made for him and you're supposed to pursue him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But listen to this. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Probably one of the worst things in the world that can happen to us as human beings is that it's not that we get yelled at and chastised and someone gets in our face, but it's whenever someone ignores us. Right? Ever been ignored? Walked into a room? To try to strike up a conversation, someone walks away. I mean, it's almost, it, it's so awkward, it's hard for us to even fathom. We don't even want to go into that brain space because it would be so detrimental to us. You see what James is saying here? He's saying what we're doing, whenever we're just drifting down the current of life, living as if the, dyna- the relationship that we've entered into with Jesus is not really a thing, what we're doing is we're ignoring God. See how that's a grievous sin? To treat him as if he doesn't exist? To treat him as if he doesn't affect your life? This is what James is calling us to. He's saying, wake up. That's arrogant. That is evil. And that is, a, that, that is something that God is trying to wake us up, Redeemer. He's trying to wake up Wichita Falls and say, hey, be, being part of the Bible Belt isn't enough. Being a part of having good church experiences in the past is not enough. Life is about pursuit of God, pursuit of him to devote your life to him, to treasure him, to say, my life matters, and it's drastically changed because I belong to him. So I'm going to orient my time management. I'm going to treat people differently. I'm going I'm to do everything differently. Why? Because I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ, which takes energy and effort. It's, it's turning around. It's repenting and saying, yes, the world is just doing all these things. The world is just pursuing money. The world is just pursuing wealth. The world is just pursuing not reformation, but radical transformation of our culture. But you say, no, I am not going to participate in the drifting of the world. I recognize that my life is a myth, and I'm here for just a little, little bitty purpose for the glory of God, and I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to go after that. My hope for Redeemer is that we say, let's wake up a little bit, and let's say, let's pursue him. Let's go. Here we go. And this is, what James is, this is what James is trying to communicate to us. Because guess what? Our plans fail. Our pursuits change. They are a myth. We know this, right? We know this. Anybody have a picture of them in junior high that they're like, I'm a stud? You know, like, <laughs> Anyone just, like, have that in their wallet right now? Just, like, check me out. Seventh grade. Like, man, I was rocking it, right? Like, you can't say that without being sarcastic. Why? Because so much has changed since you were in junior high. Everything, everything changes. You're like, you know what? My style, whenever I was in college, that's the style that's going to last. It's going to transform a generation. There will never be another style forever and ever. Really? Really? No. You probably, like, some of us are already looking back at our styles in college. You're like, what were we thinking? Like, what, well, that is a ter- what color is that? Why would anyone wear it? No one's supposed to wear that. And we do, we do that all the time, right? Anybody excited about their letter jacket? Who's wearing one? Do I see any letter jackets? Uh, this? No. But remember whenever, whenever you had it? He's like, every morning, oh, I forgot my, I forgot my letter jacket. Got to go find my, where's my, mom, you know? And he was like, oh, I got it. Whew. Got my body armor on, that letter jacket. Patch, patch, patch. You check that out. Walk by, walk by a girl, just be like, you just see that, you know? And does any of that matter? No, that's embarrassing, right? Today, it's embarrassing. And everything today fades, right? Uh, how, how many of y'all are excited about a vacation that y'all had last year? Anyone? 
I was like, well, I was excited right before I went, and during it, until my kids started screaming, and, and then, you know, like, um, no, no one's really excited. Uh, everything that we do, all the plans that we have, whatever we're building our life on, it's amidst. It's going to fade. College students, like those that are college students in, in this room, um, listen, the things that you are, are, are pursuing right now, the, thing, the style that you think, the, the things that you're building your life are on right now that aren't about Jesus, they're most likely, most likely going to fade quickly. You know that, right? You know that. And so James is trying to warn us, trying to warn us, don't fall into the trap of pursuing the things that the world is pursuing because you belong to Jesus. You belong to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Avoid all these things that the world is trying to entice you with. Don't, don't say stagnicity or just, I can move back here for just a little bit because it's not worth it. Life is too short. You're a mist. And verse 15 says you're made, you're made for the Lord. And rather than whenever we plan our lives, what, what should we do? We should say if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. This is what you ought to say. This is how you ought to, to plan your day. This is how you ought to think through the future. If the Lord wills, wills it, then, then it will come about. Because here's the thing. Not only do we have to think about who we are and how um, finite we are, we have to be thinking about our plans and our future, about how great God is. And this will really motivate us. Really, this is the primary motivator to living, living a life that's on glory, uh, that's uh, on purpose for the glory of God. Because here's the thing. God's attributes are incredible. And he has some communicable attributes and he has some incommunicable attributes. The communicable attributes are things that he shares with us. Like he is loving. He is joyful. He is self-controlled. He is holy. He is righteous. We can, we can participate and we, can, we kind of have handles on some of those things of what they look like, even though they they're manifest themselves imperfectly in us. But he also has incommunicable attributes. And this is very, very important for us to understand, for us to honor God for who he is so that we can think about ourselves rightly. Because his incommunicable attributes have things like uh, omni before them. You ever been to an omni theater? What, what, is, what is unique about the omni theater? The theater is everywhere, right? It, it, is, it is above you. It is over there. It's, it's everywhere. It feels like you're in it. It feels like you're in the actual screen. And so some of his attributes are his uh, his omnipotence, omnipotence, which means that anything that he wants to do, he can do it. Um, and his omniscience, his omniscience means that he knows everything, not, with it, not after a Google search, you know, not after accessing a file. It's like, oh, I know something. Uh, he's not really good at trivia, like whenever the timer hits 10. No, he knows everything all at once. This is our God. This is the God of the Bible. This is how amazing he is. He's like, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, and I can't. Exactly. Exactly. He is utterly different than us. He, 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 can do, he knows everything because, um, because if he didn't know it, it wouldn't exist. He created everything. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. It, it, it's amazing. And probably the, the number one thing that terrifies me the most, and it causes me just to, to almost hit my knees, is this idea of a seity. You know what this word is? Aseity means God is the self-existent one. No one created God. He's the only one 
that is self, he himself is self-existent. He has always been, and he will, ever, he will forever not, you know, he will forever exist. And there will never be a time that he doesn't exist. And there never was a time that he did not exist. Before he said, let there be light, he had existed for all of eternity past, somewhere. Before he created anything, he existed somewhere. This is our God. He's utterly different than us. It is amazing. And listen, and listen, whenever we forget these attributes, whenever we forget these attributes and we begin to live our life as if God really doesn't, doesn't exist, you know what you're doing? You're not just sinning, which is a grievous sin, and you are, but you're doing something even worse. You're doing something treasonous. You're assuming the attributes of God for your own life. You're assuming Whenever you're not devoting yourself wholeheartedly to God, you're assuming that, you know what, I know what's best for my life. Why, whenever, whenever I worry, whenever I worry about Redeemer and whenever I worry about my family and when I'm like, oh, I need to be doing this, and I actually need to buckle down and double, double down over here, and we need to make sure that we're being more hospitable over here, and we need to care for people. Oh, I haven't reached out to that person over there. And all my worry is wrapped up in this idea that I think I know best. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? Because I promise you, your worry and your anxiety is rooted in, rooted in you not understanding the nature and character of God. That he is good. That he knows everything and he wills everything into being. And that you can trust him. You can trust him. And I think uh, one theologian said it this way. said the hardest thing that we do in the Christian life and the thing that we're going to um, struggle with all of our life. As a Christian, now I'm talking to believers in the room, okay? As a Christian is, God is saying this, God, I trust you. That's the hardest thing in this Christian life. And the, and the best thing that we can do because of nature and character of God is wake up every morning with the heart posture of saying, God, whatever today brings, I don't know, you know. I don't know, you know, and I trust you with it. Your heart would be at so would be at such peace, knowing that God, you know everything, and you are working for your glory and my joy, and you work for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. God, I trust you. No matter what, if the cancer comes back, I trust you. No matter if the kid passes away, I trust you. No matter what sickness, no matter what illness, no matter what is going on in Washington D.C., I trust you. I trust you, because this is how great our God is. He is the self-existent being whose omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience has no, knows no bounds. He's a great, amazing God. And James is saying, center yourself. Remember who you are. Remember who he is because you were created by him and for him and through him. And listen, and what's amazing about all of this is that God that amazing God looks down at you and says, oh, I love you. I love you. Why? Why? We will spend 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 years in glory, Christians, and we will not know the depths of that answer. We will know more of it for, for eons and eons to come, but we will grow in infinite knowledge of the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God for us 
not on this side of eternity. I pray you know it on this side of eternity as deep as you possibly can. But it will be the one thing that we learn in glory forever is how much this God with infinite resources loves you. Loves you. Because you're made for him. Remember when Jesus, uh, uh, the the Pharisees were trying to catch him in his words. Remember one of the things that he did the way that they tried to catch him was they said, hey, should we, uh, what are we doing here? Should we pay taxes to seizure or, or not? What should we do? Tell us. And like, they had their answer over here. If he says yes, we're going to get him this way. If he says no, we're going to get him this way. We got him. The perfect question to put him on trial, right? And remember how Jesus responds? He goes, whose likeness and inscription? He says, any one of you have a denarius, which was the currency needed to pay the tax? And one of the, one of the, uh, Pharisees just flipped it to him, like kind of showed his cards and just like, oh, yeah, I got one. You know, like, I'm on board. And so he was already on the wrong side, no matter what Jesus would have said. They flipped it to him, and he says, whose likeness and inscription is on this coin? And they said, well, that's Caesar. He says, exactly. He throws it back to him, and he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar, but render to God what is God's. See what he's saying? You and I, stamped with the image of God, he says, give yourself to him. That's the call. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate. You're stamped with the image of God. Give yourself heart, body, soul, and strength to God because you belong to him. Because you belong to him. Guys, this life is so short. I remember talking, another story. I remember talking to my poppy before he went to go be with the Lord. And uh, he was talking about whenever he was a little boy. And he said the number one thing that all the preachers would get up in the pulpit and they would rail about over, they'd you know, bang on the you know, pulpit and say, what are we doing? We need to wake up. You know what it is? This is you're going you're to laugh whenever you hear this. He says, I cannot believe that some people in this congregation are going to the movie theaters. What a terrible sin, right? <laughs> now, granted, this was in the 19, late 1930s, early 1940s. And uh, the preachers were getting up, and they were saying, you're wasting your life. Congregation, wake up. You're a mist. Why would you spend an hour and 15 minutes at the movie theater? Isn't that funny? I thought it was funny. Because now the thing that I feel like I bring up over and over and over again to people that I'm talking to um, around town is, oh, hey, well, yeah, I know it's hard to follow Jesus. I know it's hard to pursue them. I know, I know we live in a distracted age, but hey, man, real fast, do you mind if I you go into your settings and show me your screen time report on your, on your cell phone? How much per day? How many hours is that per week? Oh, okay. Well, maybe we're just not pursuing the things of God the way that we should be. Maybe we're not recognizing that my life is a mist and my life is valuable. Why? Because the aseity, the aseity of, of the God of the, the cosmos that existed long before he said anything, before he created anything, you know, you know what? He says, you belong to me. And maybe James is just trying to call us to, to wake up and say, let's, let's pursue him with all that we are. Let's do it. Let's, let's devote ourselves in community to say we belong to him. Because if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. He's the one ultimately in control of all of this. So let's pursue him. Let's go after him. 
Let's devote ourselves to it. Let's wake up from the things that we're drifting, that we're following the course of this world, and say, no more. I, no more. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn because he's in charge. Because listen, remember who you're pursuing. I'm not saying pursue the drill sergeant every time he says, wake up. I'm saying pursue the Lord, the Lord of glory who chose you and loves you and, and speaks tenderly to you and tries to wake you up sometimes as well. Like, there, there's nothing better to pursue than the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our, that's my charge. That's what James is trying to communicate, is remember who we are, remember who he is, pursue him. He's worth it. He's worth it. I remember right before I moved here, last story, right before I moved here, probably three months out, um, uh, the Lord was doing a lot of things and stepping in my heart. Um, we're getting ready to have our third kid, and we're really excited. And, and with third kids and any addition to the family, you kind of do an evaluation of everything. And we were looking at our finances, and we were looking at the support that we'd raised to, um, to come and be a part of this. And we just said, Stephanie asked me a very sobering question. She said, hey, are we going to make it? Is this something that we are going to be able to, <laughs> um, to afford to do? Um, do we have enough support? Um, are we going to be constantly support raising while we're on this, on this deal? And uh, really living paycheck to paycheck. And, and at the moment, I answered very confidently. I said, well, I know the Lord has called us to this. And I, I know that he doesn't always call the perfectly equipped, but he always equips the, those that he calls. And I, I can trust him. And I think God's calling us to trust him with this. And I remember we had a kid. Um, and we had little Cannon, Charles McMurray. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if, I don't know if we have enough. I don't know what all this is gonna, going to do. And so I uh, began to pray. And I asked for two things. I, I asked, Lord, give me a heart that can trust you. And then number two, can you bring in a boatload of support? <laughs> I was like, um, help me to trust you. Yes. Like, I want, really want to trust you, but I really want to actually see uh, kind of the bottom line over here. And so I made a few phone calls. And... Um, and I prayed my head off. And as I was making phone calls, one of the persons, one of the people I called said, well, yeah, what do you need? And I said, well, you know, I went through the, the very logical thing. I was like, well, you know, if you could support us at $100 a month, you know, that'd be great. And I was like, okay, great. You know what I want to do? I want to support your first year. I'll write a check for your entire paycheck for the first year. I was like, well. And I, I don't say that to say pray and look at the good things that happen or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know what? God, whenever he does something and whenever he calls us to something and whenever he chooses us to do certain things, you can trust him. And I don't know how, I don't know the journey that he has this on, but I know it's a short one. So let's live our lives here at Redeemer Church to say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just full send, full send on the Lord. If I fall, I want to fall on him I, because I can trust him. I know his character, and I know he's called me, and I can, I can trust him with my life because he's the Lord of glory, 
the, the self-existent one who came down from heaven, came down from all of eternity that he created himself and said, I'm going to go get Cody. And I'm going to go get Stephanie. I'm going to go get Redeemer Church. And I'm going to send them out on mission. And we're going to multiply until the ends of the earth are covered with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's be on that mission together. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.